Well, it's another Friday lunchtime here in Boston. Time for another Marketing Agility podcast. Roland, the schedule's starting to fill in again. It's nice. I know. Looking forward to uh, bringing on some great people onto the show. Today's guest I met a a couple of months ago here in Boston when she, along with Barry Hardy, uh, were speaking at the Boston Agile Marketing Meetup. We had a lunch at the Summer Shack here in Cambridge. Her name is Megan Wilkinson of Level 3 Communications. Let's ring up Megan. Great. Thanks for joining us, Megan. So you are a marketing strategist at Level 3 Communications. And I see from your LinkedIn background that you've also done a lot of work uh, with sales and customer success. So can you kick us off by just sharing a little bit of what your focus is at Level 3? So I do program integration and process design for the North American Marketing Organization. So in a nutshell, I am looking at where inefficiencies and silos are in the business and using the agile for marketing approach to streamline our go-to-market effectiveness for our sales team and customers. Awesome. And and if I remember right, you have actually been working a little bit with another guest that we brought on the show, Barry Hardy. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, Barry and I are colleagues and partners in crime in a uh, this agile land and uh, have collaborated over the years. So she's a great, great partner and and business colleague. So can you bring us to how you got to agile? Throughout my entire career um, across many different facets of business, I've always program managed or done careers that involve needing to streamline and make teams more efficient. Um, And so I've just over the years just read best practices and and what leading uh, industries are doing. Um, And then when I came into current role state today, I looked at where we could leverage a better way to do business and felt like Agile for Marketing was a great fit in a B2B world. Um, I think a lot of B2B companies, especially in telecom, tend to operate in a very siloed and sometimes reactive mode um, and adverse to change. So uh, how we could leverage concepts of agile um, and bring it into our fold to help uh, drive forward the objectives that our, our team has set forward. So it was really just doing a lot of due diligence, talking with other industry experts and believing in success stories that I've heard about and taking that into our fold. And you're working in a pretty large enterprise environment. One of the questions that I have is, you know, it it appears that you've spent most of your career on the marketing side. Have Mm -hmm. folks from product management or product development influenced your adoption? So when you said you read best practices, were those best practices from the marketing world or more from the development world? More from the development world, to be honest, because I think marketing is still new in this arena. And when I say new, I I think it's more because large scale agile for marketing, there isn't a lot of companies doing it because it it tends, it's difficult as we probably all know. So I looked at more development IT operations teams that have done it and trying to find nuances that were similar um, that you could stretch over to marketing. So you are project manager, kind of in that type of role middle of the organization. Some of the organizations we've talked to, most of them have kind of have shared a common story that 
someone like you discovers it and starts to you know work with it in their organization versus you know kind of a middle or top up versus a top down can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about when you discovered this and you started to bring it in, how did you actually bring it to your organization? And was it something that you had to sell to senior management or did you pilot it first? Any organizational change, whether agile or different, requires a champion and it also requires leadership support, regardless of what you're doing and how you're doing it with the enterprise. The champion has to, I will use a word from a Barry and I use it a lot, but just have a lot of fortitude, you have to be able to go through the ups and downs of change and the champion has to be able to um, be that steadfast person for the change. But it's impossible to do without leadership support. And oftentimes it's better to have someone like me, I think, um, in the middle tier of the management model supported by upper levels rather than the upper level driving it because it is an empowerment model. It's getting the teams to work together. And sometimes if that comes top down, it feels more dictated to. So when we brought it in, um, going back to some of your original nuances in that question, we did pilot it because you're operating any organization, or let's just say humans in general are very adverse to change. So if you can showcase success, then it's easier to roll out in a larger scale. So we did pilot it, small group, I think that's important. You get the right people at the table that may or may not believe in what you're doing, but are willing, they know what you're, how you're working is not, uh, it could be improved. Um, And you sit at a table and you work through it. And so my experience with that is work through that for about three to five months. And then um, based on the success you're showing, you start to scale it out. And when it's done effectively and you have the continued support from the leadership as well as just continuous engagement from your team, then you're able to scale it in an in an effective fashion that works for all your stakeholders involved. Can you give us just cool. a little bit more of a sense of the dimensions of what you call a pilot? So are you talking about a single small cross-functional team, like a three to eight person team, or are you talking about a context where it's actually like a small set of teams that are might be cross-functional and working together on different initiatives? Yeah, um, good question. It's the first of your examples. So a cross-functional team, You have a business problem that needs to get solved, basically, I think is a really effective way to do it because any organization, regardless of whether you're B2B or B2C, um, will be faced, especially larger organizations, but I think it can go from very small to very large organizations. Let's say every single year at some point in the year is going to have a fire drill that it's facing. And so you can use that type of business case to say, let us put a core team around this and see what we can effectively do in three months because the risk is that it doesn't work and we just have to go back to doing what we were doing, which we all know isn't working, but we're not going to go backwards basically. And if it does work, then we're going to incrementally start moving forwards in the direction we want to be going. For people that are not totally bought in, um, sometimes it gives them comfort and you're not distracting a large amount of people. And these people are needing to solve this business problem anyway. So let them use a different approach to trying to solve it. 
I love um, I love the fire drill analogy because yeah. I mean I think I my earliest <laughs> kind of discoveries around agile were kind of accidental like we were I was in a startup and we were in the mode of trying to really hire uh, hire a lot of people yep. very quickly and whenever we got in that mode my CEO would grab everyone and stick them in a room and said we're meeting every morning until we solve this <laughs> you know that was yep. basically yep. and then I, I had a realization of a couple of other things that happened soon after where I connected the dots and said hey wait a second this is the same I had read I had read some stuff about agile and I said hey wait a second and I said why don't we just operate the team like this all the time and uh, right. you kind of come to that realization so when you when you got on this mode, you picked this project that was kind of a bit of a fire drill. You did it. You know, do you have anything around the basic parameters of it? I mean, when you sit, so you were sitting here when you put this team together. Did you pick people who were maybe have a greater proclivity towards it? You know, people who are more amenable to it, or is it something where the project was there and you said, you know what, this feels like a good project to pilot? In my experience, you have a choice, a list of choices, basically, right? There's never only one fire drill um, in most arenas. So you kind of choose your top three to five, and then you start assessing the risk and assessing the people that are, could be brought into the fold to help solve it. Having the right people at the table is huge. So it's not necessarily the people that know all the answers. In fact, I tend to not think those are always the best people to have at the table. You definitely want some subject matter experts to help guide the conversation sometimes, but sometimes it's just people that are tasked with this anyway or that you know are going to be easy to work with in a change type environment and um, are willing to roll up their sleeves and try and solve a problem. There's a mix of people I've found are, are effective, so you don't want to have similar type of roles and you want to have everywhere from strategy to execution types of people. I think it's really helpful to have a very good cross-functional mix. So we tend to pull in a marketing organization. I think it's good to have multiple roles because they all see different lenses of customer um, needs and uh, downfalls that they can bring to the table. And then working with your subject matter experts to ensure you're speaking to everything correctly. But whenever we're choosing teams or how to stand up and scale the next one, you're always looking at assessing the risk and reward of the team and putting people in the best position for success. What point did you decide to bring in some outside consultancy? Obviously, you know, we talked about the fact that you're working with, with Barry. Was that before you got the pilot started? Was it after? And how did you convince Presumably, you had to convince somebody to afford that expense. How did that mm -hmm. unfold? I think it's imperative to have a third party involved in a change management that is outside of any organization because they're providing a lens of expertise. They are best practice. They work with multiple agencies, companies, and different types of industries. So they have a lens that you will never have just having internal people trying to drive change, regardless of who's at the table having that conversation. So my caveat up front is anyone that's ever <laughs> wanting to do anything in the agile world it should use people that have seen it across multiple uh, instances and teams. I can't take credit for actually bringing them to the table. Um, I have some very trusted colleagues that do a lot of research. That's part of their job. 
um, is to be working with agencies to help us bring best practices in. And so when we were all talking, their name got brought up, we started talking with them and they really helped. They were one of the key pillars to helping us pick the right pilot. So they saw us through the course of the pilot and then we uh, detached and kind of flew by ourselves. But I, the ongoing relationship with any agency to keep you honest and humble and learning throughout the course of you evolving agile in any organization is really important. You know, it's something I really believe in for all of my people involved in um, any agile model, you know, education outside of me educating them and the organization that they're within educating them. I think it's important to go get third-party knowledge and expertise, go join agile forums, talk with other best practice industry leaders in this arena, because it really is a community that we should be pulling from to be sharing what works and what doesn't, because it's different for every single group that does it. So when we sat and had lunch a few months ago, one of the things you you mentioned was how your team operated and some reason the number, because maybe because it's a prime number and it sounded like a lot, but you said something like 17 teams or 17 concurrent sprints or scrums. Is that still yeah. true? Nope. We've actually, you learn and then you decide you're going to relearn and you're going to tweak and you're going to come backwards from numbers. I think when you're doing any type of change and it starts working and teams start working together, then any project or any fire drill or any, I call them sometimes shiny objects in front of us. Oh, let's put an agile team around that, you know? So leadership support is fantastic. So we have to balance that sometimes. And we grew quite big. Yeah, it's about 17 teams. And that's teams across core. There's a lot of nuances here, like core projects to actual like program teams to functional teams that are just wanting to use an agile prioritization method to ensure their team is focused on the right work week over week. So when I say 17 teams, it's a lot of teams, but they're all using concepts of agile differently, whereas my program teams are more true agile delivery teams. You learn and you improve. Part of my favorite thing about this model is uh, you step back every Q3 um, and you say, okay, what what is working large scale with this? What do we need to tweak? And so we really, um, for 2017, I think it's really important for any organization these days, the customer is why we're all here. So we stepped back and said, we really want to focus our teams around a customer-driven approach to going to market. And that allowed us to, in a sense, consolidate so we don't have overlap. And so we are going to be five teams next year going to our sales team in a cohesive fashion um, across all our marketing functions. That's quite a difference. Quite a difference. It took some change behavior in that, but it has in the past, you know, month and a half of really evolving these teams and kind of smashing them into one is really a bad term, but like literally taking a few teams and kind of tweaking the members, it actually is interlocking the teams more than I've seen them before, all by just having an understanding and agreement that we believe the customer is the most important and there's common themes across a lot of what everyone's doing. So how do we combine that and not have overlap? So, so when and you I, went from a big lesson learned was just because you have 
number does not equate success, right? The amount of teams doesn't mean you're successful. So um, that was also. So when you went from 17 teams down to five, does that mean that you have a lot less people focused on, you know, using agile or are those larger teams? Um, They're a bit larger teams. So they're probably more eight to 10 people teams now. And it actually, what it's causing is the teams themselves focused around customer driven approach um, are the eight to 10. Those are the doers putting together the go-to-market strategies to execution. But what it has enabled our organization, because I think a lot of organizations tend to use agile, but not have an agile hierarchy structure, for instance. And when you're operating agile within a non-agile environment is what I call it, you still want the functional teams that aren't part of delivery teams to operate agilely. So prioritizing their work, working with these delivery teams. So it's actually causing us to be more agile than we were with 17 teams because we have the leaders now running their functional teams um, in this approach and having stand-ups rather than big team calls and developing out, we call them work stacks, so that they can see what their team is focused on and is there any overlap with these go-to-market themed teams. I know that seems very complicated, but actually it's seeming to spread agile more organically than forcing everyone as a team necessarily. So we're just about coming up on time here, but you just said something that I just deserves a follow-up question. You piqued my interest when you talked about hierarchy in Mm -hmm. agile. You, you suggested that they're maybe not organized in a, agile hierarchy. I'm not sure what you mean by that. And I'd, I'd love to get a better sense of what, how you see agile in integrating hierarchy, whether that's a scrum of scrum or other kinds of practices that you have. I think in just traditional organizations, um, I say traditional and like waterfall marketing organizations, the hierarchy is top down, right? It's, it looks very black lines and boxes and these people report to these people that report to these people. Very non-agile type of model. The VP is not sitting in the center of the organization structure on paper, right? So when you have that, but you want to operate agilely within that, what you really have to do and what what I've seen work very well um, when you empower people and you get the right people at the table working together is that you're leaving titles at the door I am a scrum of scrums of sense, but then I have scrum masters on all these teams. So you organically are kind of planting seeds throughout the organization. You're getting people even as on an individual basis to wake up every day and prioritize work and work in two week increments, even if true agilists would not call that an agile model. It's a way of thinking differently and working differently that starts to evolve and it kind of starts to break down some of that structure that you're working within a non-agile framework. Great. Well, Megan, thank you for joining us today. It was an excellent conversation. We have to bring you back when uh, the dust settles around your day job and all the things that we couldn't 
completely discussed today, but it was a great opportunity to kind of recap what all the cool things that you're doing. As a reminder to our listeners out there, the Marketing Agility Podcast is on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Um, If you have a story to tell, you can reach out to either Roland or myself. We've had a few people in the last week or two reach out to us. We may have some return visitors and some places from some of the some of the folks in the agile tool industry people building products to support the way that people are practicing agile roland and i have been actively reaching out to people but if you have a story to tell reach out to roland at our smartly on twitter or myself frank days at tangy slice if you have a story to tell we're glad to share it and we'd love to have you here well again on behalf of roland and myself thank you for joining us today and please stay agile